Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Uh, before we get into God's word, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. And I think God, the Lord has a lot for us in this message, and it's going to be interesting. So Lord, we just thank you so much again for this time. God, thank you for these three last verses of the entire book of Daniel that reveals a mystery for us to dive into. God, we thank you from Proverbs 25.2 that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the honor of kings to search it out. And Lord, we as kings and priests in your kingdom right now are searching the depth of your word to get into a deeper relationship with you, to cling to you in these days. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together. Please be with us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Okay, so if you remember this, this chart here that we've been looking at for the last 10 weeks or so, with the, the crucifixion of Jesus, we have the creation of the church, obviously the day of Pentecost. After the church is created, we've been here, the church has been around for about 1,991 years. Uh, Jesus wrote the entire history of the church in advance in the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. There will come a time when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout to bring us home when the church of Laodicea is closing our church, the church age that we're in. The church of Laodicea is the church age that we're in. It's going to close. Jesus has a personal call to the individual. Remember in that letter, he says, he that hath an ear, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock if any man will open to me. Okay, I will come in and sup with him, etc. The call is to the individual, not even necessarily the church. It's, it's kind of radical. But when the church age closes and we are raptured out of here, the Antichrist will rise up out of the ten kings, put three of them down. He will take control of the beast system or this global government that we have been seeing for the last three or four years being set up, frankly, with everything going on. A global government, a one-world religion, control all buying and selling, demanding worship or death. Remember, there'll be a false peace rising up out of the ten kingdoms. He's going to put three of them down. They consolidate power. There's the Antichrist and the false prophet, the lying signs and wonders, the final Gentile kingdom. Uh, Daniel's 2 and 7 talks a lot about that. And then fear-driven governance. And the time between the rapture and the Antichrist is not revealed, so remember that. We don't know how long that is. That could be 30 years. It could be 30 hours. It could be, we're just not sure. It could be hundreds of years. We don't know. But we know that he cannot be revealed until the restraining Holy Spirit is removed. And you and I, if you are born again, you are that restraining Holy Spirit from 2 Thessalonians. Okay, so what I did was I took the chart. I kind of showed this last time, but just bumped it out past the end of the tribulation. So when 
the tribulation begins with the Antichrist affirming the covenant with Israel from Daniel 9. That's what triggers the start of it. There is a seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel, that Jesus declares will be the worst time in human history. It's a seven-year period. It's broken up throughout the Bible into two, two periods of three and a half years, 42 months, or 1,260 days. So two sections of that time. And in the middle, the abomination of desolation, where he goes into the Holy of Holies, declares himself to be God, and that triggers the back half of the tribulation that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, the great tribulation. So the back half is much worse than the first half, although you really don't want to be here for either half. Okay, so just keep that, keep that in mind. Okay, when Jesus returns, we studied that in a lot of detail last week from Revelation 19 and, and lots of passages. There is a 75-day interval at the very end of Daniel chapter 12 that Jesus does some things for 75 days before he sets up the kingdom and the millennium begins. So that's what we're going to study today is that period of time. Okay, so last time we looked at Jesus returning to the earth the second time, he is the king who is faithful and true. And remember in Revelation 19, he will make war and in righteousness he will judge. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of unrighteous judgment going on today. There are a lot, of, a lot of kings around the earth trying to subvert God's people and squash the word of God. You, you have no capacity to really understand what a lot of Christians in most of the world go through daily. You, know, you and I are not running for our lives. We don't have people with AK-47s knocking on our door. We don't have our children being hauled off and kidnapped. Uh, simply for the word of God. A lot of the world has that happening right now, and you will not hear about it on CNN or Fox News or other spots, but it's happening. And we need to be in prayer for them. We need to be in prayer against the persecution that a lot of the world is under so that God can finish this, this church age. We can bring as many people in the ark as we can and get out of here. But when Jesus returns, think about the state of the earth. You know, you don't often think about, I mean, there's so much bad that happens in that seven-year period. Think about when he returns what the earth will be like at that point. There's going to be, by that time, intense wars, famines, plagues, demonic fallen hordes released from the bottomless pit, fires. Most of the, the green grass and trees are totally consumed. Water turned to blood. All mountains and islands disappearing from the earth. Most of the world's population just wiped out, and gigantic hail just pummeling the earth. I mean, think about that at the end, et cetera, et cetera. There's plagues. There's all these things happening. So there's work to do, right, when he returns. There's work to, to set up the, the earth again, to get it into a state that you and I can be of service to him in the kingdom, and so Jesus has a lot to do. And from the time that Jesus returns until the millennium begins, there seems to be a 75-day interval that's detailed in the last three verses of the book of Daniel. And so what I want to do is take us through Daniel chapter 12. It's not that long. It's only about 13 verses. And, and we'll focus in on the very end. But look at this. Daniel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, 
and there shall be a time of trouble, this is where Jesus gets this phrase, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Now, everywhere you see that Michael is doing something in the Bible, he is always fighting on behalf of the children of Israel, always. He shows up always to fight on behalf of Israel. He is the archangel that goes to war for Israel. And, for example, Gabriel is another archangel we see in the Bible. Every time he shows up, he's delivering something prophetic about Jesus. So just when you're studying the Bible, just keep in mind that a lot of these angels have direct missions, okay? Lucifer has a direct mission, which is to tear apart anything that the Word of God says. So they they have missions, assignments. Michael is going to fight for the children of thy people, thy people being Israel, Daniel's people. Now, what you need to realize, too, is that when we are gone and this seven-year tribulation breaks out on the earth, it will, be, it will make every superhero movie you think you've seen pale in comparison. It just will. Uh, anything you think you've seen in, a, in an Avengers movie or a DC movie or Superman or anything like that, this is going to make that look weak, Okay. This is going to unfold the greatest supernatural war to break out on the earth because it's God's response in pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world to save his people Israel who Satan is pushing to the brink to try to wipe out because his battle is with the word of God. Okay, his, Satan's battle is always with the word. And the word says that Israel has to petition Jesus to return so if he can take them out, They can't petition, and Jesus can't return. That's the logic from Hosea 5.15. Okay, in verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and that they turn many to righteousness, they that turn many to righteousness, as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. IBM did a study that our knowledge right now is doubling about every 24 hours because of the the onset of the internet, AI, all of those things. It's doubling about once a day. So just think about that, how fast knowledge is increasing. And many shall go to and fro we live in a day and age that you can leave the United States and be in Europe in, what, eight hours, seven hours? You know, it's not even a, a boat ride any longer that takes weeks. You can be the opposite side of the world in less than a day. So many are going to and fro, and there's a lot of other applications for that, but just simply think about that. The fact that the Holy Spirit has given us full understanding of the book of Daniel today is another major prophetic sign. So the fact that you can sit down and study the book of Daniel and ask the Holy Spirit to teach it to you tells you that we are in the last days, the time of the end, because the Lord, the Holy Spirit, sealed the book until the time of the end. Daniel even says, I was confused. Like, I didn't know what I was writing. I had no understanding of it. I was just writing down what the Lord told me, and he was quaking about it. He was, he was, dis- he was distraught over it, but... The Holy Spirit teaches us today. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood another two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. Now, remember what, what's happening here is it's Jesus 
and to some kind of super angels because Jesus is walking on water in Daniel 12. He's standing there at the river talking to Daniel. There's two other angels on each, each bank of the river. In verse 6, And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Boy, don't you wish that the disciples would have asked Jesus just simple questions like that. Um, so who is this man clothed in linen? It's kind of, it's a little cryptic, right, in Daniel. Who's this man clothed in, in linen? Well, in Ezekiel, he's found sealing the believers in, in Ezekiel 9, 2 through 4. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. These are angels that are with Jesus again. They have destroying weapons. They have technology. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. Okay, this man clothed in linen goes through and he puts a mark on the foreheads of them that are committed to God. And the mark, the word mark in Hebrew is tav. It literally means a desire or mark as an exemption from judgment, often depicted as a cross. It's where we get our letter T in English. So when you write the lowercase t, that comes from the Hebrew letter tav, which means a cross. That's where we get that. Okay, so he, he goes around and marks a cross on the foreheads of the people. Uh, the, same, the same man wrapped in linen is in Matthew 27, verse 59. You don't see this anywhere else in the Bible, this man in linen showing up doing supernatural things, giving prophetic words, talking to his people. But in Matthew 27, 59, remember Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. The Holy Spirit's connecting a dot for us that this was Jesus before and this is Jesus after, clothed in linen. That same linen that was left behind as a testimony along with the napkin separately. Remember in John 20, verses 5 through 7, when, when he runs to the tomb and he stoops down, looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying, yet he, he went he not in. He didn't go into the tomb. I'm not exactly sure why. The Holy Spirit maybe had something guarding that there. But then cometh Simon Peter following him. Remember, this is John and, and Peter. And went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie in the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Remember in the Jewish, Jewish culture, if you had dinner with someone and you loved the dinner, you liked the fellowship, when the meal was over, you would stand up and fold the napkin and lay it separately from everything else. And it was a sign to signify to the host that you enjoyed your time and you would be returning. And so that's, what Je- that's why that little subtlety is there in John 20, that Jesus laid the napkin separately because it was a sign to the Jewish people, I'll be back, I will return. Okay, back to Daniel 12. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times, and in half. So time, times, and half a time. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? See, Daniel hears and he writes it all down, but he doesn't have understanding of it yet. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. 
Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So you and I, we can be wise because we have the Holy Spirit. That wisdom can give us understanding, and we can fully grasp the book of Daniel today. It's incredible. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Okay, so we get a different span of time now from the Lord. 1,290 days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,305 and 30 days. But go thou thy way till the end, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. See, that's another hint of how we know the Old Testament saints get resurrected when Jesus returns to the earth. Because Jesus says to Daniel, go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand, as in in the flesh resurrected, in thy lot, in thy inheritance, at the end of these days. Okay, so throughout the Bible, we have this final seven-year period. It's always broken down in half of the 70th week of years in Daniel 9 and Revelation 12, verse 14. 1260 days in Revelation 11 and Revelation 12, 6. 42 months in Revelation 11, 2 and 13, verse 5, and time, times, and the dividing of time from Daniel 7, 25, 12, verse 7 we looked at, and Revelation 12, verse 14. So you always have these designations. This is the only spot in the Bible that God breaks it down into 1,290 days and then 1,335 days. So you have these two different periods of time. So when you look at the chart again, remember the return of Jesus at 1260 days from when the abomination of desolation set up, 1260 days later, Jesus returns. Then you have a 30-day period to 1290 days, and then an additional 45-day period after that to 1335 days. So what is happening? You know, isn't it just curious that the Lord tucks these in here in these obscure verses to close the whole book of Daniel? And it's so easy just to read past it and keep going. And, but there is something glorious hidden in what God has for us out of this. Uh, if we will take the time and diligently try to study what is going on. Okay, so we need to take this to the Holy Spirit as always. Like I tell everybody every week, you have to take this to the Holy Spirit and let him teach it to you. I'm just sharing what I have found in the Word of God. You may find something that even expands on it more and takes us deeper. So don't limit it to yourself just what I'm sharing today. Okay, it appears that the abomination set up in the Holy of Holies will be standing when Jesus returns. Because look at verse 11. From the time the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Okay, so from it's set up to when it's taken down, it seems like that first 30-day period will be Jesus taking that down and cleansing the temple somehow. So just keep that in mind. It, the Lord is tying it to something to that marker. You know, when you think about this, when Jesus returns, how long will the Armageddon War take place that we studied last week? You know, we don't know. We're not really sure. How long will it take for Jesus to gather Israel from Isaiah 63 and bring them back to Jerusalem? How long will it take for the Mount of Olives to be split when Jesus stands on it with his foot and pushes down. 
How long will the sheep and goat judgment take? You know, we don't, we don't know. And so it's just curious that there's all these things that the Lord has laid out in his word that happens during the 75-day period. And we don't really know the order or how long each of them will take. But it seems like each one of them will be complete by the end of 75 days. And so we are going to have the privilege to be with the king on our white horses watching him do all of this when we return. That is incredible and supernatural that we get that privilege. So here's a list of, this is not all-inclusive. This is not even in any specific order. But here are the items from the word of God that I see that happen during the 75-day interval. The Antichrist and false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire. That's from Revelation 19, 19 through 21. Satan is bound for a thousand years and cast into the bottomless pit. We see that from Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. The resurrection of the Old Testament saints from Daniel 12, Ezekiel 37, the dry bones vision. Job 19, etc., the resurrection of the tribulation saints from Revelation 20, verses 4 through 5. Israel will mourn for the Messiah whom they have pierced in Zechariah 12, verse 10. The abomination of desolation will be destroyed. The establishment of the Millennium Temple, the tabernacle of David, as God promised. Uh, that's also in Ezekiel 40 through 48. The marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, verse 9. Restoration of the earth will begin with splitting the Mount of Olives in Zechariah 14. Jesus gathering the Jewish remnant and bringing them back to Jerusalem from Isaiah 63 and Zechariah 13, verse 9. Ethiopia has a gift they're going to deliver to Jesus during this time, from, uh, which I think is probably the mercy seat, but it's to be determined. But that's from Zephaniah 3.10, Isaiah 18.7, Psalm 72, and Acts 8.26 through 39 in the sheep and goat judgment. Those are just a few items. And we're, we're not going to look at each one of them, but let's look at a few of these because I think it's important. Uh, the Antichrist and false prophet, so they, they are absolutely wicked, occultic people that will be trying to, to take over the world and destroy God's people, institute global worship, and have a kingdom to themselves that they want to rule over without Jesus being a part of it. And their goal is to, is to absolutely wipe out the Jews because God's not finished with Israel. He has a plan for them from Hosea 5.15. Israel has to petition Jesus to return. And so that's the main focus of the seven-year period. But at the end when Jesus returns, praise God, they don't win. In Revelation 19, verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that set on the horse and against his army. That's against us. So they're not just out against Jesus, they're also out against us. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. Okay, so deception is rampant. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. That's Jesus cleaning, cleaning things up. Which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Jesus is going to unleash absolute war against these, these crooked, evil, 
demonic, satanically inspired people that are trying to rule the world without him. And you could also reference, if you want to, go back in your notes and read Psalm 2 to see how the Lord laughs at them for this. He will have them in derision, God says. But the kings of the earth set themselves, they want to loose their bands asunder and have nothing to do with Jesus. They want the kingdom without the king. Uh, So the false prophet and the Antichrist are cast alive into the lake of fire when he comes back. That happens in that 75-day period. Satan is bound for a thousand years, not in the lake of fire, that's eternity, but into the bottomless pit in the center of the earth, okay? So if you remember from when we studied this a few years ago, the only way you can have a bottomless pit is if every direction is up, and the only place that can happen is at the center of the earth. That's why Jesus, all through the Bible, you hear about they went down to the pit, they went down to the bottomless pit. Uh, Jesus had to clear out, there were two sides of it when he was on the earth, Abraham's bosom and then the bad side. Remember the rich man and Lazarus, the whole vision, and the rich man went to the bad side. Lazarus was being cared for in Abraham's bosom. And then when Jesus was resurrected, he collected them out of Abraham's bosom from Matthew and took them to heaven with him. So he cleared that out. It's interesting, it's kind of amazing too, Remember, uh, God promises Abraham not just a blessing and an inheritance on the earth, but in heaven. And that was, that's why it's called Abraham's bosom. That was a land, a, an inheritance for Abraham. That's where that name comes from, all the way back from, I think it was Genesis uh, 14. But you could look that up. Anyway, Satan's bound for a thousand years in Revelation 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. So by this point, Jesus doesn't even have to get involved with Satan. Another angel binds him and casts him into the bottomless pit. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed for a little season. So if you remember this from our Revelation study a couple years ago, at the very end when Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit, he goes out and deceives the nations temporarily, and they all band together around Jerusalem to try to attack Jesus again. And this time, Jesus uh, really doesn't do much. The windows of heaven open up, and the Father rains down pillars of fire and just wipes them out. And then we get into eternity. So we're going to look at that to close out this study over the next two weeks also and how it's, it's just relating to a lot that's going on today. But uh, what I want to do as a reminder um, to myself here, a friend of mine had a, had a vision, um, and I don't, or is a dream really, about this moment. So if any of you know L.A. Marzulli, uh, he and I got to talk earlier this week and he shared this with me. So it's a dream that he had that... I think I've shared this before, but he had a, when he first became a Christian 40 years ago, 42 years ago now, he was taken in a vision to Revelation 19 where he was on his white horse and we were all in this horseshoe shape getting ready for the windows of heaven to, to split open and us all ride down with Jesus. And in his vision, um, we all had our white horse. They could fly. It was a gift from God to us as the, as the church. And we were, he said it was just more people than he could count as far as he could see 
were all behind Jesus in this horseshoe shape. And there right in the middle was the king of kings at leading the charge. And, and the time-space split open, and we all rode down with him. He said he was there for three seconds, and he's detailed that. It's a really cool testimony. But he had a vision a few uh, months ago where he was at the end of the millennium. He was on his white horse. He was on a mission for Jesus in the millennium, which we will all be on a mission for the Lord to minister and do something for him. And he was in a, the way he described it, it was a, a barren, dark, desolate piece of the earth that people really didn't want to travel through. And as he's describing it, I was thinking, kind of like the Lord of the Rings, whatever that dark area was that they didn't want to go into. And he's, the, he said there was this gigantic chasm. So I'm just going to read you. He sent me a text of it last night uh, just to read to everybody. But it's the millennium. I'm on my flying white horse, and we find ourselves in a desolate, scorched earth area. Nothing is growing. Nobody wants to be there. My horse is about 50 feet away from me, and I'm moving toward a fissure in the earth, and steam is rising from it, and some human-like shape begins to come out of it. And the best way you can describe it is it looked like Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. I then see its head emerge, and I make eye contact with it, and I say, I know who you are. And instantly, he was hit in his, with an unseen force, like in his chest, in his solar plexus, and he flies back about 20 feet through the air. And he gets up, and he takes one more look at him, and then he runs to his horse to fly back to Jerusalem. And he arrives, and, and his, he gets to the palace, and he's running through the hall saying, I have to see the king, I have to see the king, Jesus, obviously. And he's ushered into the throne room, and he looks at Jesus and says, he's out. And the Lord looks at me with sadness, as if he's not caught off guard, and he just simply replies, I know. And that was it. That was the end of his, he, the dream he had. But it just kind of brought to light to me this part of the book of Revelation. I thought it was really neat because you don't really think about what will it be like in an area that Satan is loosed from again? What will it be like when he is loosed for just but a little season? And it's not going to catch Jesus off surprise at all. And he's prepared for it. And we know the end of it from Revelation 21 and 22. So just thought I'd share that with you all. It's kind of an interesting uh, dream that he had. Okay, during the 75-day interval, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints occur. That's in Daniel 12, verse 3. We talked about that. It's also in Job 19, verses 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So he's, Job's going to see him in the flesh. You also see this in the dry bones vision from Ezekiel 37, verses 11 through 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And look at the promise of God here in verse 14. Israel has a future promise that you and I enjoy today and shall put my spirit in you. So there will come a time that Israel gets the Holy Spirit like you and I have today. That's amazing. 
and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Okay, resurrection of the tribulation saints. You see this in Revelation 6. Remember the fifth seal? God sees under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Remember, they're the tribulation saints that died during the seven-year period but accept Jesus. Remember, their mission afterward is to serve God night and day in his temple with palm branches. They're given white robes. They don't have crowns. They don't sit on thrones. They have a different mission in the millennium and in eternity than you and I have as the church. But they're crying for vengeance, right? In Revelation 6, they are crying to be avenged and, to, and for Jesus to take vengeance upon them. In Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw the thrones and them that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. That's what happens during the tribulation. A lot of people get beheaded for Jesus. And for the word of God, in which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. And that's, that's those that did not accept Jesus. Okay, during this time period, Ethiopia has something prepared for Jesus. And it's one of those great mysteries in the Bible that you kind of piece this together and it almost makes you want to go take a trip to Ethiopia and grab your Indiana Jones hat and go walk around and see what you can find because it is, it's, it's an incredible truth out of the word of God. But look at what God says in Zephaniah 3 verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my supplants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. Okay, so Ethiopia, if you... If you haven't studied this throughout the Bible, they have a deep, deep history of being messianic, Jesus-following people. Uh, if you look at their currency, they have a lion with a crown on it, representing the lion of the tribe of Judah, and they're worshiping Jesus. They have this, I'm trying to remember the name of the festival, but thousands of them that love Jesus get together. I think it's called Timcat or something like that. But they get together, they wear white raiment. And they sing praises to the king. They worship the Lord. Uh, in their Ethiopian Bible, they talk a lot about this that they have over there. It's just, it is fascinating. You can go down a deep, deep rabbit trail on this. But when you study it out of the Bible, it, it just comes to life. So the daughter of his people are going to bring an offering to him. We'll look at Isaiah 18, verse 7. In that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts of a people scattered and peeled, and from a people terrible from the beginning, from their beginning. Hitherto a nation meted out and trodden underfoot, whose land the rivers have spoiled, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount Zion. Now, if you also study history, Moses battled Ethiopia in wars a lot in Egypt. Moses was a general for Pharaoh, uh, he led a lot of battles and wars against the Ethiopians long before the Exodus event. 
So it's pretty fascinating. This people scattered and peeled. In Psalm 72, verses 9 through 10, they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. That's speaking of the land of Ethiopia. They're going to come offer a gift to Jesus. Remember in Acts 8, 26 through 39, remember when Philip is commissioned to go speak to the Ethiopian treasurer? And you see this in Acts 8, verse 27, and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So remember, Jesus is, uh, he's crucified. The church is formed. Philip is taken because the Ethiopia, Ethiopia has been looking for the Messiah. Candace, the queen, sends the eunuch, who's the treasurer of all the treasure of, e- of Ethiopia, to Jerusalem because they hear the Messiah has showed up. And they think it's time to offer the gift And remember, the eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah and talking about, he's reading the part that as a lamb to the slaughter, so Jesus was led and all this. And he's going, he gets to Jerusalem and basically the eunuch is going, wait a minute, I thought the Messiah was coming. I've I've got the gift for him. And Philip is commissioned to go talk to him and explain by the scriptures that Jesus had to die first, then he will come back for the gift. And remember, the eunuch gets baptized. Well, what must I do to get saved? And he gets baptized, and then Philip is, is raptured and taken out of there. Anyway, that story opens up a lot of questions because you'll be thinking, why is somebody from Ethiopia there who's in charge of the whole treasury of the nation looking for the Messiah? So when you put this together out of the Old Testament, it all makes sense then. Now, it's total speculation, but the gift they may have, it could be the mercy seat that Jesus will sit on in the th- as the throne of David from Jerusalem during the millennium. Because remember, it was made out of solid gold, hammered, and it had the cherubim uh, surrounding the throne, and their wings made the seat. And so many times in Psalms and throughout the Bible, God and Jesus is known as the one who sits between the cherubim. And so it's just speculation on my part what it is, but there's some gift they're bringing, and I'm excited to see what that is. Uh, the other thing that happens during this interval, the sheep and goat judgment, In Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, that's that throne that Ethiopia may have, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we there thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee as a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when we saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Okay, the sheep and goat judgment 
just to give you a picture, all nations are gathered to him when he returns. The sheep are those that cared for and took in the people of Israel during the tribulation. The Jews, his people, gave them meat, gave them drink, took them in, clothed them, gave them housing, whatever, sheltered them as they're being chased down by the Antichrist. Think very much about like Anne Frank, right, during the Holocaust and what was going on. If you ever studied that in school, how uh, there were these, these Gentile people caring for and taking in the Jews, very much the same, and they will be blessed or cursed as a result. These Gentile nations during this 75-day interval. Then shall he, he say also unto them on the left hand, that's the goats, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, that is about as simple as you can make it, right? <laughs> you, it doesn't get much more simple than that. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered or thirst or stranger or naked or sick or in prison did not minister unto thee? Then shall answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, life eternal. You see this also in Isaiah 66, 15 and 16 and Jeremiah uh, 25, 32, and 33, that the Lord is, is furious. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by a sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Okay, there is a lot you could unpack in that 75-day interval uh, there's a lot that the Lord has to clean up and get right in this time before righteousness can dwell on the earth in the millennium. There's a lot that has to take place. Uh, so I encourage you all to go and study it, take it serious, figure out what is ahead of us to look forward to because we get to be there with him and watch the king usher in the greatest time that earth will have ever seen at that point which is him ruling and reigning in the flesh on the earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And you and I will be on a mission. We will have things to do for the king. You may be commissioned to do something in that 75-day period. You may be commissioned to uh, go gather these people, minister to them, tell them what the Lord did in your life as the Holy Spirit was indwelling you permanently. You'll have a a commission, a call, and a testimony that will be directly linked with how serious you take your walk today. And so just keep that in mind constantly that the enemy, his, his war is against you. It's not against you, I should say. It's against the word of God that lives in you, okay? And you don't war against flesh and blood. You're warring against powers, principalities, wickedness, darkness, uh, wickedness in high places. And so all of us, we have got to gird up our strength in the word of God. We have to build our faith. We've got to be in the Bible. And like I always say, you've got to know what faith is. It's the substance of the all things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen from Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's important because Hebrews 11.6, for without it, it is impossible to please him. 
you have to get your faith by Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you need to do it daily from Acts 17, 11, because right now there is a, an absolute war unleashed against you simply because you follow Jesus. It's just that simple. And this is the only way to gird up, have the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the word of God is your defense and your only offensive weapon. And you need both. And you have to be in it so that you know how to use it, to train with it, to get serious about it, know how to war against the fiery darts of the enemy, and to stand in these days, to stand strong, and to hold the line, and to protect your family, protect your spouse, to protect fellowship around us, to protect the families that are here, uh, to protect this church. You've got to do it, and you have to take it serious. Uh, Because at any moment, one of us could be taken out and we've got to be, by the word of God, drawing people back, warring in the spirit, praying over one another. We have to take it serious. So Lord, we just come before you and we thank you so much for this time together. God, we thank you that by your word, all things consist by you, Jesus, from Colossians 1.17. By him, all things consist and are held together by your word, Lord, that you were before your name of Jesus, you were the word, according to John 1.1, because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Jesus, we thank you that you took on the form of man for us, not just for 32 years, but for all eternity, that you took that on, you, you clothed yourself with humanity, fully God, and fully man, and came to the earth to suffer and to die for us that we may live and have eternal fellowship with you. And we thank you so much for going to war on behalf of your people. And Jesus, at the end of it all, we look forward to standing with you in total victory, in praise and worship in the throne room of the universe when we get on the other side. So Lord, be with us as we leave this place. Protect all of our families as we travel. Protect those who are coming back. Lord, we pray and we thank you for everything you are doing in our lives and in this church, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you for your providential hand over us. And Lord, all of these things we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.